Welcome to CSU Stories, the podcast where we tell the stories of the unique work of people in regional New South Wales and beyond. From Hollywood careers to amphibian specialists, we talk with CSU staff, students, alumni and members of our communities to share how our regions are shaping Australia and the world. This is Wes Ward. Uh, We're talking about the tragedy in Christchurch in New Zealand and responses by police and intelligence agencies to the threats posed by white supremacists. Patrick, can you take us back to the events immediately around the Christchurch massacre? Uh, What did the police and broader intelligence community in New Zealand and Australia know and what didn't they know? Yeah, it looks like in the immediate aftermath where there's a lot of confusion when the actual incident's happening or just just recently happened. There's a lot of toing and throwing going on with the police, obviously, on the ground in New Zealand and more broadly in Australia as well, trying to find out in their databases what they knew about the uh, attackers. You probably remember they thought originally there was four attackers and they whittled it down to uh, Tarrant, you know, was the sole, sole attacker. So that that's sort of happening in real time. But behind the scenes, you know, the Australian government, Australian agencies, Australian federal police, ASIO and other agencies here in the intelligence community of Australia would have been looking up their databases to sort of, you know, find out where he's been moving, how long he's been out of Australia, where he's visited overseas. All of that information becomes relevant and, you know, as this sort of tragedy unfolds. So there was a lot of cross-checking and a lot of what do we know about this guy, what do we know about the weapons and how he communicated and who he saw overseas. So that's that kind of trying to get a situation report on this this uh, in a profile if you like of this attacker that's what would have been going on sort of as the thing was unfolding in your opinion does the event represent some sort of intelligence failure uh, should should we have had more warning do you think about this event yeah it's a good question Wes look I think intelligence failure connotates something which might be too early to judge I know that Jacinta Ardern the New Zealand Prime Minister uh, in late March has announced that what's equivalent to a Royal Commission an inquiry into the police intelligence community's response in New Zealand to the incident. So that's only just been released I think in late March. I don't even know if there's any actually terms of reference that have been published yet publicly. So that will look at, you know, what do we know, what should we know and as to whether it's actually intelligence failure, whether it's in failures of collection of information, uh, analysis in an appropriate time, warning decision makers, you know, those sorts of things, or even if they had the intelligence decision makers, should they write literally if no, and so any you know, bureaucratic failures, all of those things will come out of an inquiry. I would just like to kind of wait until we get that inquiry rolling before we cast that sort of um, diagnosis on, on this particular incident. I suppose more broadly, what do intelligence communities in Australia and New Zealand actually know about uh, white supremacists and their movement? Yeah, well, I mean, I guess you could say, given this incident, not enough. It's certainly not... I mean, I think people, sometimes, some of the media have been betraying us in a very binary way that we, we knew so much about jihadist terrorism and our policing intelligence communities weren't at all, uh, didn't have at all any knowledge and about white supremacists, you know, white uh, ultra-nationalists and so on. And the, the, the answer is they... These kinds of threats were also on the radar, are also on the radar. Agent, uh, it was only last year the you know, director of uh, ASIO was uh, saying in a parliamentary committee 
that uh, you know that, that they were increasingly worried about white supremacists and that they were watching them more closely than they ever have before. But it's it's true to say that also I think that uh, we you know collectively don't know as much as perhaps we should on some of, on some of these individuals and some of these groups that are operating uh, in Australia and more internationally. And there's certainly a growing concern about the propensity of some of these groups to kind of go across that threshold, not just being nuisances and disagreeable individuals, but actually committing the acts of politically motivated violence. And we've seen that in the UK and certainly seen it in the US and now in New Zealand. So there is, there is a more growing concern in the intelligence community in Australia and more broadly that we need to know more. And, and I think certainly since the attack in New Zealand, there's been a more systematic concerted effort to, uh, to gain more knowledge about threats of particular individuals and groups. And what do you think our policing and intelligence agencies could actually do to not just understand but possibly even disrupt this kind of threat? Yeah, well, I mean, understanding and disruption go together, I think, uh, Wes. So I think certainly I think we've seen since Christchurch internally within our intelligence community and law enforcement community and also working in New Zealand, there's obviously an increased focus on white supremacists, increased priority in collection against particular groups and individuals, scraping, you know, social media uh, in, in a more focused way on some of these, these groups, more targeting. I think we're going to see more targeting of individuals operationally as well. Some people that may not have been on the radar are now going to be more closely watched. And I think that, you know, there's probably been a review. I mean, I'm not sure of this, but I'm pretty sure it would logically be the case. There's probably been an internal review of Australia's intelligence capabilities in this area. So I suspect more work is being done there and sort of, you know, do we have the right capability to deal with this issue? Because so much of the um, focus, as you know, over the years has been jihadist-driven uh, terrorism. I mean, there's also a couple of other things that I think, you know, that we need to look at as well in terms of capability in dealing with this problem, disrupting it, is a couple of years ago after the Lint bomber, you know, uh, in, uh, in, in Martin Place, you know, the Mona, Mona the uh, terrorist attacker there, when he, he killed a couple of people, held some people hostage, there was the creation of New South Wales Police, a fixated persons unit, which is really to try and monitor people that may not have committed terrorism offences, may not have a history of, you know, necessarily radicalisation, but may have a propensity for radicalisation or may have some other mental health history which means that they probably should be should followed more than they uh, than they would be if they were actually considered a terrorist threat by the terrorism commands around Australia and policing. So I think there is something to be said in maybe having a national fixated persons unit that looks at white supremacists, that looks at particular individuals. You know, there's gonna, you're always going to have the scruffy sort of uh, white supremacists kind of people that are going to happy to go to rallies but you know other than you know shouting fists in the air and having a making you know spray a few poorly written signs aren't going to actually join the drink the drink the kool-aid and become you know card carrying terrorists for white supremacists but you know there's going to be a percentage worryingly that will do that so we need a better way to pick up some of those people that have a propensity towards radicalization just as we do in the jihadist terrorists and the final thing i'd probably say is at the moment in the australian intelligence community there's a big review of counter-terrorism legislation going on which is meant to simplify hopefully and detangle you know two decades of counterterrorism legislation which is kind of just grown organically whenever new threats are developed you know the government sort of given the intel community more powers more legislation more amendments to legislation and, and really 
there's so much legislation that it's it's easy to kind of trip up if you're working in police and intelligence agencies and work out what legislation really applies. So I think in the context of that broader review, the legislation should be looked at to see to make sure that everything possible in, in, the, in this legislation covers also this sort of threat as well. I'm not overly worried about any particular piece of legislation, but I think, you know, given this increased focus on white supremacists, it makes sense to also look at the legislation and make sure we have legislation that enables the police, ASIO and other intelligence agencies to be as effective as they can disrupting these kinds of threats. Is there anything else you'd like to say about about this topic, particularly about the surveillance and intelligence around uh, white supremacists? Yeah, look, I suppose the final thing I'd say is that, I mean, since the, uh, you know, whenever these horrible things happen, the government, governments of the world, you've seen Jacinta Ardern being very proactive with the gun law, the new gun laws, gun control laws over there. The UK have come out recently with, you know, they want to push for a new law to tackle social media uh, companies who, you know, stream child abuse, extremism, terrorism attacks and sort of cyber bullying. They want to make it, they want to make social media bosses more accountable for you know, keeping up basically stuff that promotes violence uh, or murder, you know, and and so that that's so I can see more things that are going to happen in the social media space, and but that's going to be also something to watch because it can be tricky as well because you know the, the what the questions about what's legitimate sort of you know it should be taken down and what what is actually becoming censorship of social media and then obviously the democracy. How far do you go with that? So I think that's one thing that we need to watch. And the other thing is the extent that you can actually take all this stuff down. I mean, if you you look at the the Tarrant video that went up the, on his Facebook, um, you know, there was 300,000 copies or thereabouts was sort of uploaded in 24 hours, and and only a portion of those could be actually taken down or detected by the sort of algorithms that Facebook and Twitter use to sort of detect this rubbish and take it down. So there's sort of technical and there's civil rights issues and there's a whole bunch of issues around privacy also that need to be looked at when we try and, you know, look at social media and try and reduce it to being a as a platform for hate and, and for violence. So there's lots, lots of issues that I think will fall out of this and how far we go as a, as a democracy and trying to contain this kind of problem and, and therefore, and then how, what kind of tools then do we give to the intelligence community to deal with these, these issues? So I'll probably leave it at that. That's great. Thank you. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to sharing all of our CSU stories with you. For more information on CSU stories, go to news.csu.edu.au.